0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're here today. Glad you're ready to study the Bible with us because all we're going to do for the next 30 minutes is answer as many of your questions as we can. You'll see there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Uh, Those are the ways that you get in touch with us and tell us what's on your mind. Uh, You direct this program. You tell us what you'd like to have us discuss about the Bible. Uh, Sometimes we get real detailed questions, what's this verse mean? Uh, Sometimes we get doctrinal questions, what does this doctrine mean or does the Bible really say this? And a lot of times we just get life questions about this is going on in my family or this is happening in the world. What's the Bible say about that? And we'll try to answer any of those kind of questions. So uh, give us a phone, number, phone call or log on to the website and send us an email and uh, we'll get you an answer to that uh by email if you you do it that way. Uh, Otherwise, we'll put it on the program as soon as we can get it on. So that's the way we operate. We're glad you're here, and we're going to get to work here in a minute with uh, my partner, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. I'm Steve Tandy, and uh, we're studied up and going to answer a few of your questions, but you get the first crack at a question, so here's your trivia question of the day. Uh, How many years did it take Solomon to build the temple. Multiple choice question. What do you think? 3, 7, or 12? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. Uh, see how long it took to build Solomon's temple. And Toby, you got a real classic here. So, I see get we're doing, started.
1: We're doing multiple choice <laughs> on trivia. I wish some of our questions had multiple choice
0: here.
1: <laughs> Alright. Uh, the question is why did God create Satan? Well... We always have a a caveat with the why God questions because that presumes that we can fully know the mind of God, which we can't, of course. Uh, However, what we do know is that Satan, in some form, is an angel, and all angels are created beings, we know that. So why would God create an angel that uh, was evil? Well then we have to understand that God doesn't create evil. If you look through the story, the creation story, everything that God creates is good. And so uh, at some point, uh, whenever God created Satan, uh, originally he was good. But somewhere along the way, he became evil. And this this happened pre-creation, because by the time he enters the story in Genesis chapter 3, he's clearly evil. He's clearly defying and rebelling against the living God and trying to take us down with him. So, um, why did God create such a being? Obviously, uh, I think my answer to that goes back to free will. Now, how that works with Satan, the Bible doesn't tell us, but we know that human beings have been given free will. He gave Adam and Eve the ability to choose to obey him or not. And, of course, they, Genesis chapter 3, chose to not. And that sin entered the world. And then by the time, Genesis 6, the entire world is filled with wickedness and evil. And one translation says uh, God wept that he'd created them because they kept on choosing to defy him. And they kept on choosing sin instead of God's will. Why did God create Satan? I don't think God created Satan to do evil. God, any more than He creates us to do evil, He He creates us to do good and to serve Him and to glorify Him forever. Uh, but we have to choose that. We he, we he wants what's good and what's best for us, but we have to want that too. And and how that worked with Satan exactly, I'm not sure. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of insight. Uh, into what happened pre-creation. But my short answer to this deep question is that uh, Satan had free will, and he chose to defy the living God. So I uh, hope that answers it.
0: It does. Free will causes all sorts of problems. Indeed it you know does. It, but, Indeed it does. But the option is worse. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, free will answers a lot of our questions. Why these things happen? Well, because of free will. Yep. Yep, good answer. Okay, uh, where does it say that we are to be good stewards of the earth? Well, let's just start reading see how many we can find. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15 says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So the Bible says that Adam was designed and the plan was for him to take care of the Garden of Eden. Okay that 's it now, I know that surprises you because if you look at a lot of churches these days and you look at their website, one of the first things on there is they are committed to saving the planet. Uh, Christians have got to be good stewards of the earth we 've got to save the earth from being destroyed, and uh, that 's their whole cause for being, uh, so you would think when you see that the Bible's just full of commands that we are got to be stewards of the earth, and we've got to protect it and defend it and save it and protect it and all that. Sorry, folks, that's not in the Bible. Uh, the Bible says that Adam was put in the garden to work and tend it. Uh, obviously, that wasn't hard because he hadn't been punished with weeds and everything else yet. It was enjoyable work, but uh, he tended the garden. Now... Let's look at one other verse that might surprise folks that think that animals and humans are equal. Uh, let's look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28 on the screen. It says, God blessed them. This is Adam and Eve. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth. Subdue it. Subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Uh, God put man in charge. Uh, God gave him the earth. He said, You subdue it. You have dominion over everything on it. Now, I believe we ought to be good stewards of that. Uh, I believe we ought to be conservationists. Uh, but the Bible's not full of a whole lot of teaching that says uh, the earth is our responsibility to protect and save. In fact, that idea is anti- Biblical. Uh, That's not our task to save the planet. Uh, God sustains the planet, and God will destroy it exactly when He's ready. Uh, We're not going to destroy it before His plan, Uh, we're not going to protect it after His planned destruction. So, Once again, don't take me wrong, I'm a conservationist. I don't litter. I take care of my part of the earth wherever I am. I do the best I can. But I don't believe as a Christian the Bible tells me that I've got to save the planet. Uh, The Bible just doesn't say that. God sustains it. He will destroy it when he's ready. The other danger to this, uh, and I mentioned church websites and stuff, uh, the earth can become an object of worship we can focus more on worshiping the earth in fact that is a religion is earth worship and we get pretty close to that sometimes with the environmental movement as it is Uh, romans 1 says one of the things is when people forsake god what they begin to do is worship the creature instead of the creator and you can see that a lot in our society today Uh, We protect creatures a lot more than we honor the Creator. Uh, So there's a danger there in this stewardship of the earth idea. I'm not saying being a good steward of the earth is wrong. I'm just saying... We have taken it perhaps a lot further than the Bible actually speaks about us being good stewards of the earth. So uh where's the Bible say be good stewards? Genesis two fifteen, Adam was supposed to work and tend to the garden, and that's about it. All right, tell me marriage question. question. Yeah, the question Un- is unmarriage <laughs> question.
1: <laughs> is it okay to live with someone and not be married? Okay, well um my answer to that is no, and let me first start out by saying, if you use the phrase living with someone, uh, uh, the, the, taking that phrase literally, if you have uh, two people living together, that's not a, a sin, two people living together or unmarried, just purely living together um, in a platonic relationship, uh, just friendship or roommates or what have you, that's not a problem. But my interpretation of your question is... Uh, the the typical way we define that is kind of a euphemism for we're together, uh, we're sexually intimate, and uh, we are uh, receiving all of the benefits and the blessings of being married without being married. And that is not okay. Uh, God designed the sexual relationship. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a blessing. But he intended this sexual relationship between man and woman to be within the covenant of marriage. It's a very powerful. Uh, uh, it's, it, it bonds two people together physically, emotionally. Uh, I would say maybe even some degree spiritually. Uh, it helps the two to become one. It's very powerful. And God knew this was very powerful, and so he said, I want this to be uh, for a man and his wife. That's the only place when sa- that sexual relationship uh, is uh, okay with God. And in that relationship in that covenant, it's a very holy and honorable, good thing from the Lord. Uh, but for two people to engage in that who are not married is outside the will of God. Uh, that is sexual immorality. Um, and some might say, well, we're just living together and we're not engaged in sexual intimacy. It, you know, we're male, female, we're living together, all of that. And I will say, okay, but it still looks bad. And even non-Christian people will make assumptions um, about what you're doing uh, behind closed doors. So, uh, living together and as a means, uh, two people engage sexual relationship outside of the covenant of marriage is wrong and is not something that God wants. Uh, He wants. Sex to be between married people. First Corinthians chapter six, eighteen through twenty. First scripture we'll look at. Flee from sexual immorality. All uh, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a whole a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. So you are for you were bought with a price. So glorify God. In your body Now, of course he's speaking to, to Christians and, and how to handle their sexual lifestyle, but this word sexual immorality" is an umbrella term that refers to a lot of things, including fornication, which is sex outside of the marriage relationship. Uh, Ephesians chapter five verse three, "But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. So no, it's not okay to live with someone uh, and and not be married as conventionally understood. Uh, we should uh, seek sexual morality and flee from sexual immorality and flee from even the very appearance of it. Hope that helps.
0: All right. The Bible speaks on all kinds of topics like Toby just illustrated there, and some people look at that as why is he restricting my fun or my enjoyment of life and all that? He's not. The Bible's rules of make life better. Uh, when we follow God's plan, things get better, and he wants us to have an abundant life. But you can't figure that out if you don't know what the Bible teaches. And that's why we answer as many questions as we can each week, but it's also why we advocate, why don't you do some Bible study? Just sit down and study the Bible. And we know a lot of our viewers already do that, uh, but we know some folks have a hard time getting started. They don't know how to go about it. So uh, over the years we've come up with some study tools that we think are great helps to knowing what your Bible says. Uh, here's a course of eight lessons that we'll send to you through the mail. Uh, start learning the Old Testament and then the New Testament and what those big parts of your Bible are. And then you can go on and study the life of Christ and the history of the Bible and the book of Acts and uh, all kinds of different studies that we've got that are just good ways to know your Bible. Uh, we've also got some online courses that we think are great ways to uh, do things without waiting for the mail or having a bunch of paper around. Uh, if you're modern type folk and want to do things on your device, here's a good way to do it. Oneway.worldbibleschool.org will fix you up with an online course that uh, you can study anywhere, anytime, and we'll help you get through that, and it's a great way to study. So uh, those are our options. Phone number websites on the screen all the time. Uh, just call or log on and tell us what you'd like to do, and we'll get you started in some personal Bible study. All right, question about uh, going to heaven. Uh, what do you believe one must do to get to heaven? Well, it doesn't really matter a whole lot what I believe. It matters what God says and what the Bible says, so I'll try to convey that as best I can, but uh, I understand the question. What What do we believe that the Bible says about how do you get to heaven. Uh, I could answer that question in two completely different ways. So I'm going to do that. first thing I could say is, what do I believe you have to do to get to heaven? Uh, my answer is nothing. There's nothing you can do to get to heaven. Now, the reason I say that is, let's just look at a verse that says that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Paul explains, for by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. Well, that's pretty clear. Uh, What do I have to do to get to heaven? There's nothing I can do because it's not my doing. It's a gift of God. Okay, so that's the first answer. Well, there's nothing you can do to get to heaven. But if you look at that verse carefully, it said you've been saved by grace through faith. Okay. So all we got to do is define faith. It's not something I do. I can't work. There's nothing that I can perform or do if I had to memorize the Old Testament. I could do that eventually. Well. Maybe I could have one time. I probably couldn't now. But let's say I had to memorize the Old Testament and that'd get me in heaven. Well, when I finally got Malachi I all committed to memory, uh, I probably would have forgot Genesis by then. But once I got Malachi down, I could say, all right, I've got it. I've earned my way into heaven. Okay, Ephesians 2 8 and 9 says there's nothing like it. There's nothing I can do. But I'm saved by grace through faith. So, Faith is my other answer. My first answer is nothing I can do. Uh, the second answer is, well, I have to do everything that God says. Because I will if I have faith in him. Because that's what faith is. Okay, Faith is just not believing that God exists. Uh, faith is not just believing that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, James 3.19 says, even the demons believe that. But they're not going to be saved. So it's not just believing that Jesus is the Son of God or that God exists. Uh, faith is believing in God. And if you believe in someone, uh, you not only understand what they say, you accept what they say, uh, you bend your will to do whatever they say because you trust them completely. That's what faith in someone is. Okay. So if I have faith in God, if I have faith in this system of his system of salvation, then I will do what he says. Now, that's all the examples we find in the Bible. It says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. How do we know Abraham believed God? Well, when God told him to leave Ur, he left. When God told him to, that he was going to have a son, he believed he was going to have a son. When he told him to sacrifice that son, he was willing to sacrifice that son. Whatever God said, Abraham did it, was willing to do it. Believing in God means doing what he says. Okay, so when I said I have to do everything that God says, not because that earns my way in, but because that's what faith is. Well, then I began to study the Bible and say, well, what's God say? And I find out that God says, I have to repent. Well, okay, if God says that, I'll repent. God says, I have to confess. Okay, I'll confess. God says, I have to be baptized. Okay, I'll be baptized. God Mm -hmm. says, I have to walk by faith, live my life trusting in him. All right, I'm going to try as hard as I can to do that. He says, I've got to love my brother. Okay, I'm going to try to love other Christians. Okay, so that's what faith is. So those are my two answers. What do I have, think you have to do to get to heaven? Well, nothing you can do to earn it, but you've got to have faith in God. And once you have faith in him, then you'll look to see whatever he says to do, and you'll do it. That's what you have to do to get to heaven.
1: Okay, the next question is, if God knows where people go when they die, why does he create people to go to hell? Okay, well, let's think about that a little bit. Uh, God creates people. God creates all things, uh, and he, everything that God made and created uh, in the beginning and today is good. It's, it's impossible for God to create something evil uh, or something that's uh, any less than his standard of good. That's because he is good. Uh, when you say, well, he's creating this person, God knows all things, God knows the choices this person is going to make, whether they're going to accept him and follow him and do what he said, like Steve talked about, or or not. And then if he knows the end of that, why would he create a person that he knows will end up uh, eternally separated from him? And I believe because God <laughs> wants to believe the best in us and give us the opportunity to choose uh, what we do, and that God doesn't will that anyone should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. Uh, free will is a <laughs> it's a tricky 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 thing uh, it is a blessing, but it can also uh, bring great curses if we choose the wrong things and so uh, I believe that God wants to give us free will because free will is a good thing. Uh, with it, of course, comes risk, as anyone who 's a parent uh, for more than a few days understands that child has free will, you love them with all your heart, you want what 's best for them, but at some point, that child has to want that too, and so uh, to a much higher degree, this is the way uh, I think with God and uh, his understanding of our choices and our whether we obey him or not let 's look at Second Peter chapter three. Uh, Verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's a good God. He's holy. He wants what's best, and He wants what's best for you, and He hopes that you will choose to follow Him, and He's not wishing that anyone would fall away, but that everyone would, would come to Him. So, hope that helps.
0: Okay, how can God the Father know when the end will come and God the Son not? All right, our viewers have been reading Matthew 24, verse 36. Let's look at that together. And Jesus said, he was talking about the end of time and Judgment Day. He said, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So our viewer says, okay, hold it now. I thought uh, God the Father and God the Son were equal, and uh, they were all one. How does the Father know something and the Son not? Excuse me. All right, I think the answer is, when was Jesus saying that? Jesus was answering that question when he was on earth, when he was incarnate, when he was in the form of a man. And the Bible tells us that to do that, he laid aside the privileges of being God. Now, we don't know what all that entails, uh, but he laid aside some of the privileges of being God. He didn't believe that being God was something to hold on to. He let that go for a while. So I think while on earth, he didn't know when the end of the world would come because he'd given up some of his godly privileges. Now, Now that he's back in heaven... At the right hand of God, I believe he knows. I can't prove that, but I think he does because he and the Father are one. So I think that's the answer to that little strange question there. uh, I think while he was on earth, uh, he wasn't uh, uh, in on that information, but I think that he surely is now. We invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. We're sponsored by uh, lots of different churches of Christ across the country. And here's a couple in western Kansas. Agra and Mead are both uh, fine groups of Christians in those two towns. And uh, they support this program. And we like to thank them and tell you to drop in and visit them sometime if you're looking for a church home. Uh, wherever you are, there's a Church of Christ near you. And we invite you to give them a call, thank them for this program, or drop in and see them. Toby, you got a minute or two for an answer? Uh,
1: The next question is, uh, Matthew 27, 52 says the graves were opened and many were raised. How long did they live and what happened to them? And I can answer this pretty succinctly. Uh, We don't know. The Bible just doesn't say. Let's look at Matthew 27, 52 through 53. The tombs were also opened and the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. They went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, that last part there, appeared to many, some have uh, given the theory that these uh, people, they were resurrected, they were on earth for as long as Jesus was, and then when Jesus finally ascended, as we get a picture of an axe, uh, that's when they ascended. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible never clarifies that. It's just one theory. And best explanation I have, uh, Jesus, after he was resurrected, appeared to many, and maybe these uh, resurrected Uh, people did as well but what happened to them ultimately the bible leaves it as a mystery
0: okay we don't know that one here's a quick one Uh, where does it say that good deeds cover a multitude of sins it does not say that it gets a little bit close in first peter 4 8 above all love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins good deeds don't cover sins up Uh, Good deeds might pay for some sins in a human relationship, uh, but love is what covers over sins. Now, this is a human relationship thing that he's talking about there. It doesn't mean that if you love, God will cover your sins or forgive your sins. It means in a human relationship, and we understand that. uh, If there's somebody you really, really love and somebody that you don't like that much, well, the ones you don't like, you'll point out every error they make uh, he did that wrong he did this wrong and all that somebody you really really love you kind of ignore that stuff you say oh, well I love them that's okay <laughs> so that's what that verse means if you love people you'll uh, cover over a lot of their shortcomings and their sins you won't make a big deal out of it I think what that means alright trivia question time how many years did it take Solomon to build the temple Three, seven, or twelve, and some of you were able to guess seven because that's a good Bible guess. There's a lot of sevens (laughs) in the Bible, uh, but it did take seven years, and you can read about the building of the temple in 1 Kings 6. Interesting story. Glad you've been with us today, and we're going to come back next week and answer some more of your questions, so we'll invite you to be back then. Till then, have a great week.